This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Thursday, December the 21st, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Oh, yeah, the horns came ready to play on the shortest day of the year. December the 21st, their high fives this morning. Oh, as of tomorrow, more sun, the days get longer. You know, for those of us who are light sensitive as part of the albinism community, this is the best day of the year. This is wonderful. Extra darkness works for me. Less time with my sunglasses on. Win-win all around. Well, just for me. Coming up on the show today, you know that mortgage rates have been on the rise, the cost of housing has been on the rise. Well, there's an article in this week's edition of McLean's Magazine that's exploring some of the deeper impacts on everyday life. Don Dickinson will give you more on that story. The final Paralympic qualification competitions in goalball have wrapped up. Peter Parsons examines how Canada will stack up heading into the Paralympics. And 2023 saw quite a bit of news in the tech industry. Mark Aflala will highlight some of the biggest innovations. But the show begins with the top story of the day, and it's all about food and food prices and food security. Remember the bread price-fixing scandal? Well, Canadian grocery companies are pointing fingers in the bread price-fixing court case. Michelle Zadokian has the latest twists and turnovers. Metro has submitted a statement of defense and cross-claim in the Ontario Superior Court, responding to a class-action lawsuit that implicates it and several other grocers in the alleged conspiracy. Metro denies being involved in bread price-fixing, which is also the subject of a Federal Competition Bureau investigation. Loblaw calls Metro's allegations ridiculous and untrue. Meanwhile, Canada Bread recently filed its own statement of defense in the lawsuit denying participation in the conspiracy. But in June, Canada Bread admitted to four specific counts of bread price fixing as part of the ongoing investigation. Michelle Zadikian, the Canadian Press. Let's shift over to a different story about money and fraud. The Canada Revenue Agency has fired 165 employees who improperly took federal COVID-19 benefits. Emily Javesky takes a closer look. The CRA is reviewing about 600 cases in which current employees receive the Canada Emergency Response Benefit during the COVID-19 pandemic. The benefit was worth $2,000 a month to Canadians whose jobs were lost or downgraded as a result of public health restrictions. Of the cases reviewed, 116 employees who received CERB were found to be eligible for the benefit. The CRA says those who were ineligible are expected to pay back the 
money if they've not already done so. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. And one more story for you. This one is a little bit more positive, at least depending on how you think about the federal Canadian Senate. The Canadian Senate is adding to its ranks. Lisa Laporte tells you all about the new appointees. Olympic medalist Marnie McBean, who won three gold medals in rowing, is joined by Tony Verone, a developer who is a director on the board of the Crown Corporation, Canada Lands Company. The third appointee is former YWCA of Canada head Paulette Senior, who's known for her work promoting gender equity. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's office says the three will fill vacant seats in the Senate for Ontario. Independent senators are appointed by the Governor-General on the recommendation of the Prime Minister after being chosen by an advisory board. Lisa Laporte, The Canadian Press. During some edition of Now with Dave Brown, when there's time, I'll tell you the story of when I tried to apply to become a Canadian senator and uh, was deemed ineligible because I did not own land in Ontario because apparently we still live in times of the Roman Empire. Let's get to the daily polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. On Wednesday, you were asked, in general, would you say that big technology companies are allies when it comes to accessibility? And there was unanimity in the voting 100% of you said no, no, big tech is not an ally when it comes to accessibility. So perhaps uh, you didn't quite buy into some of the nuance that was explored by myself, Elizabeth Moeller, Laura Bain, and the founder of Inclusive Communication, Denis Boudreau. But if you did miss yesterday's show, I highly recommend the conversation that I had with Denis in the uh, second segment of the show. It, probably still landed on the side of negativity that maybe uh, big tech was not an ally, but it was still a great conversation. Today's Daily Poll, all about holiday travel, because it is the busiest travel week of the year. Did you know that Pearson Airport in Toronto is going to be expecting 140,000 passengers a day passing through the airport. In Vancouver, the number's a little bit lower, closer to 75,000 passengers per day. But my goodness, that is a lot of people working their way through international airports in Canada. So, busiest travel week of the year. What's your level of stress around holiday travel? Very, somewhat, or not at all. Elizabeth Moeller, I've taken away the variables this year because I have some privilege. My father is driving from Ottawa. He's going to spend Friday night with me and we're driving back to Ottawa together. So any holiday travel stress is squarely on the shoulders of my 73-year-old father. <laughs> well, I'd say that's uh, that's good planning. I, I think I'm probably in the somewhat camp. I tend to really um, mitigate that stress by by planning ahead, the old scouts model. So I try where I can not to travel on actual holiday days, like Christmas Day, Boxing Day, try to maybe get there a few days before. Um, I'm a little bit of a stickler for um, getting the deals, as a, as a student often is. So I will book my tickets like in ridiculously early, like September, October, because yep, I want those deals. Um, and I find even though there's often an opportunity on the website to indicate assistance, I call and I always go early. 
Um, some other ways that I sort of mitigate and, and make my stress sort of in that mid, you know middle ground. Um, the preparedness for me is also just about things I can do. There are going to be delays. There are going to be um, you know periods where you're waiting. So I always bring like extra medication in case I have to stay longer than expected. Um, food and snacks for the train, even if the train has food and snacks. I have been on a train where there has been an ice storm and we were delayed for four hours and they ran out of food and water. People were not happy, Dave. It was not a good time. So that really helped to, to have that. Um, and I would say the other thing, you know, the, the why I'm in that sort of medium ground is um, just having a backup plan. Like if the if the train or the plane doesn't go, am I getting there? Am I getting there later? Am I going to miss it? And what does that backup plan look like for me? Yeah, there was no backup plan for me last year when the uh, trains got cancelled on the, uh, I believe it was the 23rd when all the trains got cancelled and I was uh, stranded in Toronto for a couple of days when the uh, rail lines were shut down. There were no airline tickets to be had, not to mention because there was a snowstorm that affected the yes. airports too. Now, that was not just a Toronto issue last year. There were folks who got stranded in Mexico. Vancouver's airport uh, was was dealing with delays for the better part of a week because, because of major snowstorms. It looked looks like, and I'm going to knock on wood here, according to Environment Canada, it looks like all the weather for the next couple days should hold up and be pretty good across the country, again, in the aggregate. So maybe not quite the same trouble as you saw last year, but yeah, sometimes there's uh, no amount of backup that you can do. Elizabeth, you That's and right. I are both avid train users, uh, and I would say in the aggregate, we both have a lot of positive things to say about uh, yes. Via Rail. Did you know that in the last three weeks, they've changed their booking system on their website. I have. I've actually used it. Um, what was, was your experience? Really I was, I was for me, as a screen reader user, very impressed. I, I found the old system very awkward and clunky. I could actually log on without any problems. There was a spot where I could put that I needed assistance. Um, there was a spot where I could put in all of my preference details and save it. The other thing that I really like is that it's very mobile friendly. So I can do it on my, my phone or my desktop. So yeah, overall, very positive. I'm hopeful that the app will be up and running soon because that's been for, on my end down for a little while but overall the online booking system that i've used pretty good yeah i uh in the immediate moment of knowing there was a change got cranky because elizabeth <laughs> by, by my nature i don't like change and i've been using that website for Ooh, let's say about 14 or 15 years now. So I I had I had this thing like down to a science. And last night when I logged in and it was completely different and they were making me change my password, I was thinking to myself, oh boy, this is gonna be a bad experience. I'm not gonna like this. But in the end, really, really good. Like very, very yeah. slick, very, very straightforward. A lot of the extraneous information has been eliminated. And what I really, really liked Elizabeth, now they said this is only going to be a limited time as an included feature. Feature. It's, it's going to take, like, eventually, the, I'm sure they're going to monetize this. But for now, you can choose your seat for free. They'll still assign yes. you what car you're going to be in, but you can pick your seat for free. So I was able to pick exactly where I'm sitting on the train coming back from Ottawa uh, on December the 30th, which made me so happy because I always disliked that game of roulette where I would hit book oh. and then never know what chair you I was going know. to be in. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And for some reason, when I would call to book, I would always be put near the washroom or the door, neither of which is super appealing to me, especially if I'm in business and I'm eating a meal, like maybe not so great, right? So yeah, yeah. I really like now that I can say, okay, I want to be in seat like four, which is not right near the door or the washroom. So yeah, I'm with you. I hope that stays. I'm sure it won't. But yeah, that, that's a really nice feature. And like I said, I love being able to put the remarks right in there that you need assistance. Yeah, yeah I saw that. I saw that little tab too. Like what, what do you need? Same thing for dietary restrictions yep. it used to be there right. was this huge drop down menu now it's a little bit more open-ended which I thought was really cool now I have no dietary restrictions I will eat anything that I'm faster than but but nonetheless I think for <laughs> folks who have needs it was really really good yeah so uh some crumbs some crumbs or no crumbs no crumbs for via rail I'm sorry I'm, I'm trying to talk like a gen z person over here but no crumbs means you did a great job so great job no crumbs for via rail well done Elizabeth well done by you at accessible media on Thank Twitter you. at accessible media Media Inc. on Facebook, 1-866-509-4545. That's the phone number, 1-866-509-4545. Or feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. That is the email address. What's your level of stress around holiday travel? Coming up after the break, a conversation all about the impact of increased mortgage rates on everyday life in Canada. Don Dickinson will give you some perspective in a preview of McLean's Magazine. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Probably the most common theme on newscasts on this show this year was your money and cost of living. Because it has been tough out there. And for some folks, it's been tougher than others. For example, Nathan Outram has worked two jobs equating to about 75 hours a week and he's still scrambling to keep up with payments and the cost of living. His story is featured in this week's edition of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio, and specifically the piece centers around increased mortgage rates. Don Dickinson has more on this article. Don is the content curator of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio. Hello, Don. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Don, I'm good. Uh, these stories upset me, but uh, they're worth mm -hmm. taking a closer look into because I think it describes what a lot of people are going through. Perhaps this is the extreme, but I think it's something that a lot of people would find relatable. Nathan and his wife, they both work and they both have decent jobs. How does he describe their financial situation? Well, that's the interesting thing about this article, Dave, is the fact that, uh, you know, they do have uh, decent jobs. Uh, he says, um, I'm a social worker with the province, and Evelyn, that's his wife, is an administrator at a private school. Um, they were th planning on getting into the housing market. They knew it was no easy feat, right? Um, he, quote, we had a combined income of 117000 
not bad coin when you think about it, and about $37,000 in savings, he says. But initially, we could only get approved for a mortgage of 500000 So what they did was, what, which is what many, many people do, is they went to the bank of mom and dad, of course, and they got some extra money, and they got into a mortgage situation. So what brought on the first signs of trouble? Well, like many, many, many people, um, of course, we've heard this again and again on the news, um, interest rates. Uh, so on June 1st, uh, the Bank of Canada raised their interest rate to one, uh, raised to 1.5%, a half percent hike. Uh, oh, Don, Don, you got to, Don, Don, I got to stop you. You got to date that properly. That That's 2022 or 2021 data, 1.5%. Uh oh, good point there. Because because we're because because we're up to five percent right now yes, as yes, as, yes, as yes, the general yes. interest rate. Uh yes 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 okay so um actually you know it doesn't even state in the article here but it does state that but their biweekly payments rose to fifteen uh rose uh to fifteen hundred dollars so I'm assuming it's the earlier one right uh, then they were getting ready um also to well. Uh, thinking about having a second child, right? Uh, but it was only in the kind of thinking stage, right? Uh, then they went to the bank and said, listen, uh, we have plans for the future. We want to lock in the mortgage at a fixed rate, and the bank advised them against it. Um, so one of the points of the article uh, that he makes very clear is that he thinks that they were a little naive when it came to the situation, and they should have talked to a financial advisor rather than relying solely on the bank. Yeah, the bank has a vested interest, and uh, and the notion, uh, no pun intended, and when you're on variable rates and they know those rates are going up, they have a vested interest in keeping you uh, inside that variable rate. Okay, so Don, how are they coping with these increased mortgage costs? Like you said, that was sort of the first blip on the radar. That was the first hike, and there have been, I believe it's 12 hikes in the last 18 months on Canadian uh, on on the Bank of Canada's key lending interest rate. So how are they dealing and coping with the rate hikes now? Well, it got to the point where they were just basically not being able to um, afford the, like food and gas and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they could afford it, but it was getting really really tight. So what he decided to do was take on a second job. And as you stated at the beginning, uh, it uh, it really cut into his time with his family. Basically, he had no time with his family because he was working these two jobs. He got a job as a bartender. And um, for the last year and a half, he's worked uh, his day job, which is in social work, from 7.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. and then headed to the restaurant to start his night shift. Most weekends, he says, I'm usually not home until way past 1 a.m., so I'm only having a very, very small time uh, with my family. I work 75 hours a week, and I'm still scrambling to keep up with payments. So basically what it distills down to is that, um, you know, he said, if you're thinking about getting into the housing market, you really have to sit down and and face some hard truths, uh, you know, talk about calculating in all the different things like interest rate hikes and also maintenance, their maintenance uh, costs. And then really decide if you can handle it, you know? Uh, yeah, and uh, for a lot of folks who maybe can't do the house thing and they're thinking about the condo thing, consider the uselessness of condo fees and how much that's going to take out of your wallet every month for absolutely nothing. 
Uh, not that I'm talking from autobiographical experience or anything. <laughs> okay, Don, let's move on to a different side of the cost of living crisis. This one is a little bit different, and I'm always a little bit leery about this, right? Because you just shared a very human story, and, and humans matter. But what also matters to a lot of families are the animals that we love and the pets that we love. So the next article is considering the effects of inflation on pet food. The Toronto Humane Society's pet food program is seeing a surge in demand. How many folks are seeking help from this particular food bank? Yeah, you know, you don't really think about this, but... Um they're saying that every day as many as uh, 60 to 70 pet owners file into the Toronto Humane Society's headquarters just east of the uh, city's downtown core seeking food for their beloved animals. Uh, this isn't your typical food bank. Anyone unable to feed their dog, cat, guinea pig, uh, anything furry, scaly, whatever, uh, can leave, in fact, with a bag of kibble, canned food, or whatever they need, including toys. No judgment, no questions asked. The Humane Society launched its pet food bank eight years ago after seeing patrons struggle to feed their animals for a variety of reasons. It's... um. It like the again, bo both of these stories are upsetting, but they're very real, right? There's a lot of talk this time of year of spending money and like what's going on and, and oh, I buy gifts and do that and treat the ones you love with all this generosity. But like there needs to be a consideration of like what's happening out here in the real world. And I'm glad you're bringing these stories together. What is the situation looking like for pet owners at home at this time? Well, Dylan Dobson says that pet owners, uh, Dylan's with obviously with the, the Toronto Humane Society, says that pet owners will often forego food or other essentials to care for their pets if they can't afford to feed them. Uh, others have no choice but to relinquish their pets. Um, and basically, the Humane Society Pet Food Bank is a way to kind of help them over the hard times, to help pet owners hang on to their pets, hang on to their animals, um, it was it, it's a very difficult situation because obviously these people love their pets just as much as anybody but they've just fallen on very very hard times yeah you talk about the sacrifices you have to make but one of the sacrifices you don't want to make is having to get rid of your pet because because again it, it sounds flippant and weird but i think anybody who has ever had a pet understands that it, it's part of the family like like it, it's a loved one like when my dog passed away a couple of years ago like i'm still not sure i've overcome that trauma Oh, it, you know what, Dave, that's so typical of all of us. I remember when we first got our dog way back 14 years ago, and we were, you know, sitting down and deciding what we would spend if something really happened seriously health-wise. And uh, <laughs> Frank and I were saying, oh, well, this is, this would be the limit. This is how much we'd spend, right? Well, then, of course, we were up at the farm one day, and, and he had a very bad injury, and I tell you, I, t I cradled that dog to the vet at the at Markdale Hospital, and I said, it doesn't matter what it costs. Yeah, 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 <laughs> ex yeah exactly, exactly. Hey, Don, um, I, I always love hanging out with you every Thursday, talking about the work that you've done all week. You and your colleagues on the audio side doing a fantastic job curating a lot of this content. Thank you for all the time you've spent off the air, on the air with us this year. All the best to you and the family over the holidays. I know that the uh, the boys are probably going to eat a lot of the food, so that's going to keep you that's <laughs> going to keep you busy for a couple of weeks. So, Don, all the best to you and the family over the holidays. Well, thank you very much, Dave, and the same to you.
That is Don Dickinson, content curator of Voices of the Walrus. If you want to learn more about the Pet Food Bank program, visit torontohumanesociety.com. That's torontohumanesociety.com. And again, McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio airs weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Coming up after the break, the final Paralympic qualification competitions in goalball have wrapped up. Peter Parsons... We'll see how Canada stacks up against the competition heading into the games in Paris. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The final Paralympic qualification competitions in goalball have wrapped up. The field is set for the Summer Games with Canada's women's team set to compete in Paris. Peter Parsons can recap a few more of these qualification tournaments and take a closer look at how Canada stacks up against the competition. Peter is the chair of Blind Sports Nova Scotia. Hey, good morning, Peter. Good morning, Dave. So, Peter, you've been all over the Parapan American Games talking about the Canadian experience, but you want to look a little bit further abroad here across the Atlantic. So who made it out of recent European and African qualifiers? Well, we'll start with the uh, African Championships first, Dave, since they finished uh, first. Uh, and so the... The Algerian women won uh, the competition in the African qualifier and the Egypt men. Um, and so then in Europe, uh, the Israeli women qualified. They actually came second and won the silver medal to, um, to Turkey, who Turkey had already qualified as the world champs. And then on the men's side, Ukraine had qualified. How would you describe the depth on the European side of the competition? Well, Europe has the most depth of any region. Uh, they actually have European A, B, and C championships, and they have a relegation system where the, the bottom two from the A go down to the B the following year, and the top two from the B go up to the A, and so on. So it's very, uh, very uh, deep competition in, in Europe, and so... Uh, for the Ukrainian men to have uh, beat Lithuania was was really big because Lithuania, who unfortunately won't qualify now, um, but they are five-time European champs. They're the defending European champs. They won bronze medal in Tokyo 2020. They won gold medal in Rio 2016. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was really big for um, for Lithuania or sorry for Ukraine to beat Lithuania. And uh, Israel on the women's side um, had a really good tournament. So when they beat Great Britain in the semifinals, that secured their qualification spot for Paris 2024. What's the significance of fresh blood, sort of new champions, right? Because one of the things that sometimes happens in Paris sport or emerging sports is you get these powers, these monoliths who mm -hmm. hold the top spot and don't go anywhere. But it seems like based on some of the reporting you've done here on the goalball front over the course of the last few months, it feels like there's going to be a lot of fresh blood in Paris. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's huge because 
a team like Ukraine, who uh, have been emerging the last few years, um, but to actually qualify, and you know, they're they're a metal threat in Paris. Uh, you know, just like the Canadian women um, beating the uh, the U.S. women um, at Para Pan Am. So it's kind of different for the U.S. women not to be at the Paralympics. Um, but of course, only one team was going to qualify to the Pan Ams in the women's side, just like only one team on the men's side. So it's it's great to see, you know, Ukraine and Canada qualifying. Yeah, to me, that's what suggests growth in the sport, right? Like, that's how you meaningfully grow a sport. It can't just be, oh, we've got, we're swapping around the relegation. We've got a new team in a hit the place. It's, no, no, we've got new gold medalists. We've got new silver medals. We have new champions. That's how you really show whether or not a sport is growing. Yeah, most definitely. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a, quite the field in uh, Paris um, at the World Championships when uh, South Korea qualified as well as Turkey, which wasn't a surprise for Turkey, but, uh, you know, South Korea was kind of a new country on the scene as well. Um, they beat Canada, actually, unfortunately, in the semifinals, which made Canada's road to qualifying that much more uh, challenging, which made it so special when they beat the U.S. Mm. after coming so co close to qualifying previously. You mentioned that gold medal that uh, Team Canada, the women, won at the Parapan American Games. Who's their toughest competition? at the Paris games or, or where would you rank their chances? How do they stack up against the field now that the field is set for Paris? Yeah, first I should mention, Dave, that just yesterday, Canada won the award for the most, the People's Choice Award for the most trending moment with their big gold medal win over the US last month. So that was super uh, awesome to see. Um, but yeah, Turkey would be their, their top competition, Turkey being the defending world champs and Paralympic champs. However, Canada did beat Turkey at the World Championships um, as they won their pool in the round robin. Um, but yeah, so you have you have Turkey, you have uh, Israel, China, Japan, um, a lot of strong countries who they have played, and you know even U.S. are one of the top teams in the world that they beat. So they definitely have a good chance. You know, it's a eight-team tournament, so everybody makes the quarters. So they win their quarterfinal. It could be a tough quarterfinal, but they win their quarterfinal. They're playing for a medal. And so I think they have a good chance uh, at the podium for sure. Peter, you've been on the goal ball beat all year long, and it's uh, much appreciated. Thank you for bringing these updates. And I'm sure there'll be a few opportunities to do some primers in the new year uh, heading, into the uh, heading into the Paralympic Games in Paris. But you're a man who wears many hats. You're also a mixed martial arts journalist. Uh, you write, you do rankings, you cover local events in Nova Scotia. Well, there's a big event coming to Toronto, the UFC the sort of uh, big boy of all of mixed martial arts is coming back to Toronto for UFC 297. First and foremost, Peter, are you going to hop on a big silver bird? Are you going to hop to fly to the big smoke for this uh, pay-per-view? I'm not, actually. I'll be watching it comfortably from my home. I've been to a lot of live UFC events, and if uh, you haven't been, I definitely suggest for people to go because it's quite the atmosphere. Um, but... Uh, and I have a goal ball tournament the following weekend in Montreal, so I'll, I'll be staying home watching uh, watching the UFC and, and being able to see it better on my on my TV. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking looking forward to the event. Yeah, I've been to a one. I went to a Toronto event uh, back in 2012 for the uh, John Jones 
Vitor Belfort fight. I think that no. was. I think that was the main Jones event. Jones Gustafson. Dave. No, Jones no, no, no. That was that was that was 2013. That was 2013. Oh, Jones okay, Gustafson. Okay. Uh, I was I was at Jones Gustafson actually. That one of still one of the greatest mixed martial arts fights of uh, of all time. Uh, Peter, I've got to confess though, I have become something of a casual UFC fan. I went from being quite hardcore, quite tuned in, to being someone who just kind of uh, checks in when there's something notable going on. So, what does the card look like for UFC 297? Yeah, it's it's a really good card. It's it's a paper, first pay per view card of the year. Um, it's headlined by Sean Strickland against Drakus Duplessis, and Sean Strickland's coming off a big title win over Israel Adesanya, who's one of the UFC's top stars, um, and Drakus Duplessis, who uh, earned his number one contender spot by beating Robert Whitaker, who was a former champ who's beaten everybody in the, that middleweight division, with the exception of Adesanya. Um, and, you know, Strickland's quite the uh, character, and Duplessis is looking to become the first South African UFC champ. And then uh, there's a women's bantamweight title fight as the co-main event uh, between Raquel Pennington and Myra Buena Silva from uh, Brazil. So she's, um, this is Amanda Nunes' division, Amanda Nunes, who recently retired. That's why it's uh, for the vacant title. Okay. So her countrywoman, Myra Buena Silva, is looking to uh, looking to win that title against Raquel Pennington, who's, uh, who's quite the veteran. But yeah, the card is quite stacked from top to bottom with lots of Canadian fighters on the undercard as well. Peter, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I can't put my finger exactly on why I've lost a little bit of interest in MMA. I wonder if maybe I oversaturated myself because between 2006 and 2015, 16, I don't think I missed a single card. And now, if I watch maybe two or three fights a year or two or three cards a year, that's probably my upper limit. I, I don't know what happened, but for whatever reason, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's that I have a distaste for UFC President Dana White. Maybe I don't like mm -hmm. the fact that I'm constantly seeing Donald Trump uh, during UFC mm -hmm. events. Like for a bunch, for, no, I'm, I'm going to be sincere about this. The UFC and Dana White and a bunch of these fighters are always, and their fans are always yelling about, "Keep your politics out of my sports. Keep your politics out of my sports." But it always seems to be when it's uh, a person of color doing some kind of protest that they're saying keep your politics out of my sports and then yet they're trotting Donald Trump out here in front of me on broadcast and I'm like well you can't have it both ways you jabronis <laughs> yeah well you would have liked the last UFC last weekend Dave was the last pay-per-view of the year um actually you wouldn't have liked seeing Donald Trump cage side supporting uh Colby Covington who's turned it into a bit of a circus uh with uh, being a Trump supporter and all of that but uh, Leon Edwards who is um, a British fighter um, who had had to win like 10 fights in a row to even get a title shot. Well, Covington, uh, Edwards had uh, had beat Covington pretty handily. So I was quite uh, I was quite happy about that. It was quite quite fitting because um, Edwards also represents a lot of like respect in, in the sport, which which is what I'd like to see more of as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sportsmanship and respect. I remember when I was really into the sport, you had people like George St. Pierre who were really about respect, or guys like Lyoto Machida, who was a Brazilian mm -hmm. fighter who was eventually the 205-pound uh, champion. He was all about respect and class and, and treating people with dignity. And it seems like maybe in these last decade or so, with the rise of, like, the Conor McGregors, who are just brash and jerks and, like, total jabronis, or Patty Pimblett, who starts talking, he's a British fighter, who starts talking about his terror terrible politics it, it just seems like the sport has become more about personality like it's maybe shifted a little bit closer to a professional wrestling model which they used to borrow from but now it feels like they're just straight up replicating 
Yeah, because I think back in the early days, you know, when they were trying to get mainstream acceptance and um, regulated in all the different states and, and the different countries, you know, um, they now that they have all the regulation, it's all about pay-per-view sales and so you know the, the marketing aspect of 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 it all which yeah that lends itself to a lot of pay-per-view buys to like mainstream fans right so i uh, you know i i really like the actual the sporting aspect the, the the respect aspect like you said like george st pierre who's one of the greatest mma fighters of all time the greatest canadian fighter for sure um he was all about the respect and coming from a traditional karate background um but just one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet as well so there's a lot of Canadians on this card, Dave, who uh, have grown up looking up to uh, George St. Pierre, who mm -hmm. hopefully will uh, follow in, in his footsteps. Um, well, nobody's going to quite follow in, in his footsteps, but, uh, but make names for themselves, uh, the next generation of Canadian fighters. So let's end on a bit of positivity here, because I think I think I've I've well expressed some of my negativity and pessimism around the UFC and the sport right now. Let's talk about the positivity, though, the trickle down effect when you've either got large scale Canadian events like the UFC coming to Toronto or Canadian fighters who are emerging and growing. What's the trickle down effect when it comes to the local mixed martial arts scene and gym scene when you get the high profile events and the high profile fighters? Yeah, definitely. Like back in the day when George St. Pierre was selling at the Rogers Center, um, you know, you had a lot of these young Canadian fighters looking up. So I think uh, the same thing will happen. Um, you have a fighter like uh, Mike Malott, who is um, the only Canadian fighter on the pay-per-view portion of the card, fighting Neil Magny, who's a ranked fighter. Malott is 3-0. He's fighting out of Burlington, Ontario. Um, you know, he could be one that the young generation is looking up to, looking up to him. Um, and uh, you have Brad Katona fighting out of Winnipeg, who um, is the only fighter ever to win the Ultimate Fighter two times. Um, and so he's also on the uh, on the card. So yeah, definitely, like you like you said, Dave, there'll be a hopefully a good positive trickle down effect getting kids into uh, you know martial arts, uh, the martial arts side of it's just a positive such a positive experience being physically active, but also the discipline and respect element that that comes with that. So yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely huge for, for the sport um, and for uh, the local scene. Yeah, I think I've told you before about my cousin who runs a gym in Montreal called Apex Martial Arts. And uh, my cousin Ryan was once a uh, top-ranked kickboxer in North America and does a lot of jiu-jitsu and now does a ton of coaching. And a bunch of his fighters are now working their way up the ranks all across Canada in kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, and mixed martial arts. And he got married earlier this year. And I remember one of the things that was so cool at the wedding was getting to spend time with his fighters who were of a wide range of ages and backgrounds and all kinds of stuff and the time that you get to spend with these people who who are basically a family together like w whatever you want to talk about the business side of mixed martial arts and particularly the monolith that is the ufc the aspect of spending time at your local gym and your local community that gyms like martial arts gyms build you cannot replicate it it's something that just brings people together and the love and respect that went on at that wedding and just like the general love affair that was happening amongst people, uh, there's there's nothing like it, Peter. There's nothing like it. So that's where, for as much as negativity as I was throwing on maybe like the UFC as a business model, I wanna make sure that I'm very clear about my general love and respect for like the mixed martial arts industry and the people in this country who are working their tails off keeping it together.
Yeah, yeah, they're they're some of the greatest guys. I remember when I used to train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and and get to train with some of the uh, MMA fighters as well. Some of the like the, the the toughest guys are some of the the nicest, most genuine guys as well. And a lot of love and respect, like you like you said, and they just welcome you with open arms. And um, yeah, it was really uh, a great. Uh, I really enjoyed the training in Jiu Jitsu and uh, Judo that I've done and, and all the fighters that I've interviewed in the past, some of the nicest, some of the nicest guys you'll, you'll meet. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's give some love to the gals too. The gals are doing a nice job on the, on the scene as well. Hey, Peter, thank Most you for this. Definitely. Most definitely. Peter, thank you for this. All the best over the holidays. Take care. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. All the best to you as well. That's Peter Parsons, the chair of Blind Sports Nova Scotia. Let's skip the business minute and head right over to Elizabeth Moeller for the weather story of the day. Elizabeth, uh, depending on where you're going to be, it might be a bit of a green Christmas. Great song by the Bare Naked Ladies, I will add. But are you, Dave, dreaming of a white Christmas? Because I, I well, was I was singing that this morning, but I don't know if I'm dream song. I don't know if I'm dreaming of a white Christmas because I would prefer no weather to disrupt my Christmas travel plans. That is completely fair. Well, for most places, that dream might have to wait for those who are dreaming of a white Christmas until next year. Unfortunately, a lot of the country won't be getting that white Christmas. In Canada, looks like a lot of us are going to be getting a green Christmas after all. But wait there is hope for some cities in the country. Despite the odds being low, five places in the country have a decent shot at that white Christmas. So let's take a look, shall we? Starting in the West, Winnipeg seems to have the best chance of waking up to a white snowy Christmas with lots of wind. In Edmonton and Calgary, the chances are pretty good. Your folks in these cities are uh, looking at around two centimeters of snow that they're going to wake up to Christmas morning, which will be nice. And that's going to taper off around midnight on Christmas night. We're going to move east and then Charlottetown and St. John's have a good chance of snow on Christmas morning. St. John's with 10 centimeters and Charlottetown with eight centimeters of snow. But it really all depends on the snowfall over the weekend and the possibility of sea effect snow. So let's keep our fingers crossed for those cities to have that white Christmas. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you for this. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Dave. And a green Christmas to you, too. A green Christmas to you as well. We'll talk to Elizabeth Moeller a little bit more in the uh, second hour of the show. Coming up after the break, Vancouver community reporter Nathan Clements will tell you about some places along Vancouver's waterfront uh, that are noting and marking the festive holiday season. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Vancouver is getting all ramped up for the holiday season, especially on the waterfront. Vancouver community reporter Nathan Clement has more of the details. Hey, good morning, Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Good morning, Dave. How are you today? I am doing well. Sorry, I think uh, we're having a couple internet. Hello, I think we're having a couple Dave, internet how issues here. How are you here. today? 
Uh, Nathan, I'm doing great. I think we're having a couple internet issues on our end here at AMIHQ. I guess we didn't pay the internet bill last month, so they're cracking down on us over here. But uh, Nathan, if you can hear me, if you can hear me, what, Chris what Christmas events are going down at the waterfront? So right now, Vancouver has a series of events going on all across the city, but primarily at the Cold Harbor waterfront, we have the Vancouver Christmas Market going to December 24th. A lot of fun little shops. Uh, if you need that last-minute Christmas gift, as I, I know I'm someone who always runs my gifts last minute, so that's a perfect spot, as well as there's the great access to food and music and just different events there. And then not too far from there, about 200, 300 meters is the Canadian Trail, which is uh, right along uh, Canada Place. So there's a series of different uh, blow up lights, like from a giant beaver to a giant moose, giant trees. It's quite spectacular. I was actually there a couple days ago and it was remarkable just walking along the waterfront, seeing all of the lights. And then a great event to kind of wrap it up is Thor, um, this flyover this soar, uh, soar with Santa exhibit, which I've done in the past, where you're kind of nestled into this chair, and you're rowing around, and you get to see the North Pole and all these different festive sites. So there's a lot of fun things to do along Vancouver's waterfront. What's your advice to maximize uh, the fun and the experience around the waterfront? Because uh, the waterfront can be quite sprawling, and there can be some twists and turns. Yeah, I, I recommend... Uh, very, very fortunate there is um, different shuttles that can take you to all different parts of downtown, uh, and especially with the waterfront there. So I recommend getting um, getting there earlier if possible. Um, so possibly doing um, the market earlier in the evening and then having that chance to get to the Canadian Trail. Um, uh, the, the market should take about a couple hours and uh, get to the Canadian Trail a little bit after leaving is about not too too far so it should be fine and then you have uh, the uh, flyover canada which is right along the canadian trail and is easy to access and is wheelchair accessible with elevators and different options to get up to the theater right on okay so nathan if folks want to learn more vancouverchristmasmarket.com vancouverchristmasmarket.com or flyovercanada.com flyovercanada.com are the uh, points of contact on that one forget the waterfront how about the aquarium the vancouver aquarium also wants to get in on the holiday spirit what got your attention out of uh, the vancouver aquarium's uh, holiday splash The big thing that caught my attention is seeing uh, Santa scuba diving. You have a chance to go scuba diving with Santa till the uh, 24th of December, as well as there's a bunch of scavenger hunts, opportunity for kids to build crafts, and just a chance to see some beautiful marine life with over 65,000 um, uh, animals all about Vancouver's aquarium. All right, I love, I love the Vancouver Aquarium. I'm just a fan of aquariums in general. VanAqua.org, VanAqua.org, and the Holiday Splash event uh, runs until January the 7th. Okay, Nathan, let's wrap up on food in the new year. Dine Out Vancouver is making a return in January. What are some of the establishments on the radar here? So one of the great things about Dine Out Vancouver is the city coming together 
with over 300 establishments, all trying out new food, trying out different restaurants. As someone who's worked in the, the food industry in the past, I've been a part of bars and restaurants that have done dine out. And it's a lot of fun just for the staff to try new foods that we don't have typically on our menu, as well as just the chefs and cooks making new stuff. But there's one thing that I always love most about dine out. And I've kind of made an excuse of getting my bike downtown for like a training ride to stop by uh, street, uh, street Food City 12 to try out some of the food stalls they have uh, at the Vancouver Art Gallery, as that's something I've always tried to do is find a way I can get down there as I'm finishing a ride just to get some food in before I go on home. A little fuel to uh, get back. Nathan, the Vancouver food scene is a really good one. And we played this game on the show earlier this year of trying to figure out what constitutes the official meal of any given city in Canada. So in Montreal, for example, you'd probably say it's a debate between the smoked meat sandwich and poutine. In Toronto, we had a pretty big argument about this, but we kind of landed on the beef patty, the Jamaican beef patty, as sort of the official dish of Toronto. There's a lot of good options in Vancouver. It could be sushi, it could be ramen, it could be curry. What do you think the official dish of Vancouver would be? If you had, if I, if I pinned you into a corner and said, Nathan, you gotta pick one. What's the official dish of Vancouver? And the internet cutouts. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this and it could be, it's a controversial name because of starts with California. <laughs> Am I back on now? Yeah, you're, you're, you're back, Nathan. You're back. All I heard was California, so I have a sneaking suspicion um, you're going to mention sushi. I would say the food that most of Vancouver that represents Vancouver but it has Okay, internet, not internet, not our friend today. Although I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Nathan's answer there. I'm gonna try to paraphrase. I think Nathan was mentioning the uh, California sushi roll as an option there. Having all kinds of internet issues here today at uh, AMI HQ. I, 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 we're gonna have to take a second here to maybe reset and figure out where how we want to go moving forward. So let's do this first. Let's go to Tech Trends, we'll play the story, and then I'm gonna come back and give you a short entertainment report, and then we'll figure out what we're doing from there. So, Tech Trends. App developers are considering how to put all your mobile experiences under one umbrella. Mike Dubusky has the lowdown on super apps in Tech Trends. Semaphore Tech reporter Louise Matsakis says widespread internet adoption in America happened early. We still have that email sort of desktop legacy functionality. That means Americans developed a habit of visiting different sites for different purposes. Americans just love websites. That stuck around despite the transition to the mobile internet. Regions that got online during the smartphone age, meanwhile, developed different habits. For example, super apps are popular in markets like Latin America, Africa, and in Asia, where a lot of people went straight to smartphones, they didn't have this intermediary stage where they were going through a browser on a desktop. There's less of that ingrained habit. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Okay, internet issues persist here, but I wanted to give you an entertainment report anyway. Laura Bain, away today, feeling, feeling sick. Hope you feel better for tomorrow, Laura. But I still have a couple thoughts here from the world of entertainment. So I'm handling the entertainment today. Are you ready 
for a one-man film review. That's right, not a one-sentence film review, a one-man film review. I fired up Leave the World Behind on Netflix last night. Leave the World Behind. To put a specific genre on the movie is a bit tough. If you really forced me to and pinned me down, I'd say it's a suspense thriller. I don't want to give away too much of the plot because there'd actually be some spoilers that are hard to avoid. But to put it very, very simply, a family rents a cottage outside of New York City and weird stuff starts happening. As opposed to focusing on the plot, I want to talk about the actors because this was star-studded. Julia Roberts, Mahershala Ali, and Ethan Hawke. They all absolutely bring it. Julia Roberts plays such an unlikable character and just nails it, right? Julia Roberts is someone who is a darn good actor and has gone well beyond just doing rom-coms. You know, Julia Roberts did win an Academy Award for Aaron Brockovich, <laughs> so that definitely counts for something. But she just leans into this character that is borderline unbearable and so annoying and she's so good. She's so, so good. Incredible, incredible stuff. Ethan Hawke plays the role of a feckless, naive husband to perfection. But the real star is Mahershala Ali, which shouldn't be surprising. The guy's a multiple-time Academy Award nominee. The guy has such presence on screen. It's charisma. Every syllable of dialogue, every action on screen. Totally captivating. Love that. It's worth hitting play on Leave the World Behind just for his performance. As I zoom out though, I wanna pose this question to you. Is it possible to simultaneously really like and really dislike a movie? Simultaneously enjoy it and simultaneously be totally miserable? Because some of the individual scenes and acting performances and premise were brilliant. But it was also deliberately plotting and slow. It was well over two hours. There was probably a great 90-minute movie there, but it just deliberately meandered at times for no good reason. On the positive side, the music and score was incredible. Like, top, top-tier score and music. Overall, loved the concept. I do not regret hitting play. Leave the World Behind is on Netflix. It's rated R. As I head over to break here, not all the way sure that we're coming back from break because uh, these internet issues make it very difficult to execute a show where almost everybody is joining the show uh, remotely. <laughs> and we are having uh, these internet issues at our AMI HQ. So we'll see what happens if I'm back in a couple of minutes, but I wanna leave you with one last bit of fun and that's weird Christmas music. Ryan Gosling is not quite done with playing the role of Ken from the Barbie movie. He's released an EP that repackages songs from the movie in a few different ways, including a Christmas version of I'm Just Ken. Let's head to commercial break listening to Ryan Gosling being the delightful weirdo that he is. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.